podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hi, this is Tony Cotty and you're listening to the We Are West End podcast. You are listening to the We Are West Ham podcast with me, Will Pugh, and my mate, James Jones. West Ham United have finally got three points on the board in the Premier League, and we've got a European quarterfinal coming up. I have got widespread criticism in recent weeks. Not from everyone, to be fair, but from a few, um, some of our listeners, friends of mine, colleagues, fellow West Ham fans for perhaps being a little bit too positive, I think, in what has been for most, understandably, a pretty bleak season, a pretty grim season, certainly uh, more of a miserable campaign, I think, than many of us were expecting at the beginning of the season. But it is three points nonetheless. My focus this season is Europa Conference League and stay up in the Premier League. Don't really care about position. I want it to be as comfortable as possible so we can enjoy a run, hopefully, to the Europa Conference League final in Prague in June. And three points in that vital relegation, almost decider against Southampton at London Stadium on Sunday is a hugely important step in the right direction, in my opinion. However, my mate James Jones is here to tell me, so I believe that perhaps all is not as positive and rosy as I thought. Jonesy, how you doing, mate? It's nice to see you. You're at the game on Sunday and three points, but... mm, not quite as much of a positive as perhaps people like me would have you believe. It depends which way you want to look at it, mate. Um, three points. Well, look at it the James Jones way, mate. That's what these listeners download the podcast for in their thousands every week. I know, and I'm, I'm going to try and avoid being um, negative about us winning a game of football, which sounds a little bit weird, but um, it was a massive win, really, on the in the grand scheme of things, we needed three points in that game. Uh, we got them, but my word, the performance wasn't good. It was, we walked out the ground, essentially before we started recording, we walked out the ground and we're like, it's really great that we got three points, we desperately needed them. We got them. We should be happy. But my, that was, we felt like a world wasted 90 minutes of a Sunday afternoon. Mm. Um, so yeah, like I just, there was nothing. It wasn't like we rocked up and, steamrolled Southampton off the park and gave us every belief that all the negativity is behind us and we can go now and start picking up some some important wins and then end the season nice and safe mathematically safe before the before the last game of the season would be nice but I don't know there was just there was a real lack of urgency Southampton weren't great either really um, but Mm. dominated a lot of the ball uh, and it just really felt like, yeah, okay, we've won, but had we been playing anyone else, we probably wouldn't have won. Um, and if we <laughs> if we put in the same performance against Newcastle on Wednesday, then yeah, it's not going to end well, I don't think. Um, no. so, yeah, three points is great. We must be positive about that. We needed them, but yeah, there's yeah. still really no reason to start thinking that yeah, we're going to turn the corner and start winning football matches regularly again. Genu- genuine question though, Jonesy. Does that 
does that matter? As in, I, 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 is it fair to say that you're of the same mindset I am, where genuinely at the end of the season, if we finish 12th or 17th, you don't really care? I don't think it matters this season. No. Because whatever, wherever we finish, as long as it's not the bottom three, yeah, then it's not going to make all the, all the, the only difference it makes is that the, the higher you finish, the more prize money you get, but well, it's an extra what, half, half a million per position or something like yeah. that. So like, that's not going to make a difference to us this year. Like we could finish 17th, 12th, whatever. Um, mm. As long as it's not the bottom three, I think we should be happy or at least content well, that we've not gone down yeah. and, and pleased. With the way the season's gone, you mean? Yeah. But that's, yeah. So you look at it, it go with the, the performances aren't going to matter either, really. Like, I'll be moaning about the performance, even though we won. But you'd but... hope that what I'm saying is it won't they won't matter as much in the competition which I am prioritizing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. As in, because the conference, I don't know if I, I genuinely don't know if, it, if how many other fans feel that way because there doesn't seem to be too much chat about it. Um, and again, I was it's sort of hard because sort of look to Twitter for that. But if I talk to, I always find my dad to be quite a good barometer of that sort of thing. He's not on Twitter. He's not on social media. Uh, he talks to other people in person for his uh, views. Like I've always had fans. I know, weird. Um, but he's the same as me. Like, you know, it's, it's rubbish. He's a, He agrees that it's rubbish. Like the football is absolutely terrible. But, you know, he's excited by the Conference League. And it's almost, I think that win against Southampton, that's sort of my stance on it after the game, James. Like you say, the performance wasn't great. But I just think, well, that that was a vital three points because, and if we can somehow nick another point or um, or two, we've got two difficult games coming up now before we do a next podcast, Newcastle at home on Wednesday night and then Fulham away. On Saturday, two very, very tricky games. I think we said on the podcast last week, I said four points would be a, a decent haul. You said five, I think you'd like. We've got the three in the bag early, which is the one we needed to win. Um, if we can somehow nick another three points out of those two, I think that's great. And then it edges us a bit closer towards safety. And then I, I was still sort of in that weird place where it could be a still be a really good, memorable season with the with the conference league stuff, did do you think if we got to a co- in the conference league final and finished 17th, do you think ultimately fans would still view it as a negative season? No. Bearing in mind, or if we win it, right. Let's say if we win it, because we'll be in the Europa league next year then. Yeah. I mean, if, I mean, if we win a trophy, it's going to be a memorable season. We'll always look back at 2023 as the, the year that we, we finally ended our trophy drought. Mm. Um, but that's all they'll be talking about. We won't be going, oh, yeah, what a year that was. We won. We won't be going, oh, yeah, we won the Conference League and finished 17th in the Premier League. What a season. Mm. It'll be, we won the Conference League that year. Don't mention the league form, though. Right, leave that out of it. Um, but what, all right. Would it be a net positive season then? It, well, I mean, if we win a trophy, then yeah. yeah well, right, thanks. Yeah, I'm glad you feel that way. Yeah, yeah. of course it would. Um, yeah. But we've not won a trophy yet. And if we end up going out no, of the finals yeah. and, and finish 17th, then it will go down as a, as a disappointing season. Mm. 
Um, yeah, if right. we go out in the semi-finals and finish 17th, it would go down as a disappointing season. I think the only way it goes down as um, a successful season is if we get to a final and win it. Or win it. Yeah, I sort of, I'm almost um, inclined to think if even we lose in the final, If we lose in the final, then you could say there, there was an element of success because we don't get to many finals either. No. Um, big opportunity last season, didn't do it. But... Um, the only way this season is saved is if we win a trophy. Because, um, yeah, yeah I, I don't see any other way that we can go, oh, yeah, that was a good year. Yeah, remember 22, 22 yeah. 23? That was a good season, wasn't it? Yeah, we were rubbish mm. in the league, but we ended up finishing 12, so it was okay. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's not so going to be like that. No, to even balance it out, just to, just to balance out the poor Premier League form, we need to win the Conference League, don't we? Yeah. Genuinely, yeah. we do need to win it. We need to win it for fans to go, okay, yeah, nah, that was still pretty good. Because then we're in the Europa League next year. I think if we win it, that's why I, I'm finding it a, re- a bit tricky still to be properly doom and gloom, right? Because it's been bad. I don't want people listening to think this bloke's deluded. Like, what on earth is he talking about? It's been grim. It has been bad, right? I, I want to say that now. However, I, I just struggle to believe or quite fully commit to the absolute like doom days disaster this is the worst thing ever rhetoric that i am seeing a reasonable amount albeit mostly on twitter um and I, i just think we're just sort of just doing enough aren't we you know the everton game at home not in the forest at home now southampton it's the home form that's doing it for us. Yeah, right. and it's easy yeah. for fans to go and like moan and go. And no, I'm not saying you're moaning. You haven't there. You're totally within your rights to say it was a bad game of football. But you said it's positive that we got three points. Of course it is. Um, but we we still have won games under what I consider to be difficult circumstances regarding the new players and injuries and you know the fact that Moyes has had to bed so many of them in or try to. In a season, the drop-off in form, the inexplicable drop-off, basically, of stalwart players who were outstanding for us in seasons gone by. Um, I, You know, we, we begrudgingly got to the Moyes out stage. We, we've covered a few times already. Um, but I just genuinely, while it's still, it's got the potential to be a net positive season if we win the Europa Conference League, I, I find it hard to say it's, proper bleak and doom and gloom until we, like you say if we go out the quarterfinals then it's like yeah what the hell like because we beat teams we were expected to beat didn't we in the group not to devalue the competition but it's not even getting to the final while it would be a great achievement and it's brilliant even it's not the same as beating Sevilla and then beating Leon, is it and going toe to toe with Eintracht Frankfurt like genuine like giants of European football, it's not the same getting to mm-hmm. the final Conference League, is it? You know, we'd have overcome Ghent, who are sort of reasonable in the Belgian league. We've beaten Genk and uh, Anderlecht. We know we're sort of dominant over Belgian teams. We'd have to be AZ Alkmaar, who are playing good football this season and did well to knock out, um, who was it, Lazio in the round before? Mm. Um, but you sort of it's it's not like these iconic games of football that we remember all our lives like Leon and Sevilla were. So 
I think you've got to win it to sort of wash away the negativity surrounding the Premier League. And then I think if we qualify for the Europa League next year, then I think we go again and I think we can reset and I still think we can consider ourselves to be there or thereabouts, that level that we've been for the last couple of seasons and want to be again. We can just put this season down as a blip. We could get some decent signings in the summer on the off the back of the fact that we're in Europe's secondary competition again. And then, and then you go again and, and hope or hope and do the necessary work for the Premier League form to improve. But I just think if we don't, we don't get Europe. Declan Rice goes in the summer. Paqueta and Skamaka probably go. Not that they've been outstanding. I understand fans will say that. They probably go. And then all of a sudden, you're almost like rebuilding from the pre-Moyes days. Do you know what I mean? And you're just mm. like a, that mid-tier, nothing Premier League team again. And I think there is a real danger of that. Yeah, I think if we want to continue to push on and almost... Mm continue what was achieved the previous two seasons um, and be where we feel like we should be in the in the Premier League in terms of at least top 10 pushing top 8 um, then yeah we need to be in Europe next year and obviously the only way you do that is if you win the, win the conference league mm-hmm. um, if we do it then it does allow for re- it does allow for I mean regardless of what happens whether we get Europe or don't we win the trophy or don't there is going to be an element of rebuild one way or another. Yeah. Um, I'm of I'm of the opinion that regardless of what happens this by the end of this season, trophy or no no trophy, stay up or relegation, uh, Moyes will not be our manager next season. Uh, really? Even if he wins the trophy. I, I think there's a lot going on behind the scenes that we probably don't know about, which will contribute to him not being at the club next season, regardless. Um, I just I don't see the hunger within the players that we've seen over the last two years. And it's yeah. down to him to get... Yeah, yeah, he might lead us to a trophy, but the hunger isn't there. I saw it on, on Sunday against Southampton. We've seen it all mm. season. There isn't that hunger anymore. Mm. Um, and that's down to the manager. It's clear that... I won't go as far as to have to stop playing for him, but whether they've lost a little bit of faith in him as, as a yeah. manager, I don't know. But um, I just... I, I, I see it also as a huge opportunity for the club if we win if we win it and get back into the Europa League. Huge opportunity to go out and get a forward-thinking, modern-day tactical manager who can utilise the type of players that we've invested in over the last year. Yeah. Um, and Moyes will leave and we'll be like, you know, he's done a superb job. Mm. Um, and he'll go down, you know, um, as one of our best managers in the modern, modern era if you can win a trophy and then leave given what you did over the last two years in the in the Premier League. So I just that's the way I see it. But it's going to be a rebuild regardless. If we don't don't get into the Europa League, he he will he will leave. Some a lot of the key players will leave and it will be almost starting from scratch. But again, yeah. it's going to require a, a manager to come in um who uh, is up to, is up to scratch with the the way that the modern day football football is played. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Who that is, we don't know yet. I mean, a couple of managers have become available over the last two days uh, or the last 24 hours. Um, I've got my eye on one of them. I think Grand Potter would be a superb appointment in the summer if we can, we can tempt him. Um, He's not coming to West Ham. I, I think the Chelsea right. job is way too big for him at his stage. But, um, but yeah, 
yeah, I, I, I think it's a rebuild either way, um, regardless yeah. of what happens. Yeah, I agree. I just, I just think it's all on the Conference League now to give us the, a better platform on which to do oh, it. Yeah. We win it in the Europa League. It's just easier to do, isn't it? It's easier yeah. to sell the project to players. Um, yeah. I totally get it. Uh, how are you anyway? I mean, we'll do a, we'll, we'll get into the show though, just to let everyone know what's coming up. It's very, very uncharacteristic for us to start the show talking about... Uh, very serious, straight away. Yeah. It was straight into the, yeah. the bones of the football chat, mate. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just let everyone know what's coming up on the show. We've got two games this week. We've got Newcastle at home on Wednesday. We'll speak to the head of sport at the Sun, Sean Custis, big Newcastle fan as well. Had him on the podcast for the first time earlier this season. We've got some very good reaction from you guys to that. So Sean's on again later on. That uh, will be after the, we, me and James, we'll look into that Southampton game in a bit more detail in a bit. Then Sean will be on for the opposition view ahead of Wednesday's game, London Stadium, West Ham v Newcastle. Then we'll have Don Betts, formerly of Love Sport Radio, where this podcast was born, now at Talk Sport and part of the Fulhamish podcast. He'll be on to chat ahead of that game at Craven Cottage on Saturday, later in the show. Then you have some final thoughts from me and Jonesy. I've also got to, at some stage, message back all the Belgian journalists and podcasters who I contacted about an opposition view for the Ghent game, desperately asking them if they could do anything today, not realising that that game was next week. Um, head up my backside time a little bit there, Jonesy. But we've filled in the necessary opposition views for this week's show, so it'll sound as it does usually. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at we are underscore West Ham, Instagram, we are West Ham Pod. And me and Jonesy on Twitter, by the way, our personal accounts at William Pugh underscore and at by James Jones. Uh, we're on YouTube as well. Search We Are West Ham podcast. Jonesy doing a sterling job over there, uploading lots of the different video clips. That we do, and you can email us if you so wish at wearewestlandpod at gmail.com. We did have an email in this week, which I want to bring up with you very shortly, Jonesy. Um, how are you, though, mate? Uh, settling into Berry, as we understand. I'm going to be calling it Berry St. Edmunds still, regardless of what you tell me, because I don't live there um, and I'm not as pretentious as you. So. <laughs> but how are you getting um, on? How's life treating you? Um, yeah, outside of West Ham spheres. Oh, good, thanks, mate. Yeah. Um, Anything exciting or not exciting to report? Uh, well, I was back. I was back in Boreham Wood over the weekend. Um, oh, yeah. sorting, my, sorting my flat out. I've got a tenant moving. It really in is not exciting. Weeks. Yeah, so I had to go back and finish off a little bit of painting, a little bit of cutting in on the ceiling, which I'm terrible yeah. at. Yeah. Um, get the flat all sorted for the tenant. Um. And then yeah, I was at the game on Sunday, so I've I've, I've been. I feel like yeah, okay, I've moved to Berry, but I feel like I've not had a good, a, a, a strong run in Berry yet. Yeah. So I was in Canada the week before, and yeah, and I was away for four days at the back end of last week. Um, so yeah, pretty boring though. To be fair, yeah. nothing, nothing okay. going on. Just sort of you know, just waiting for the summer to arrive so I can have a barbecue for the first time. You know, yeah, I'm looking forward to coming up to see you, actually, mate. Um, yeah, very much so. I'm getting up to Suffolk. I don't know what you like. At a, you say you're not too good at DIY there, but are you any good at barbecues? I feel like I could see you as a barbecue sort of bloke. Yeah. I know you've been in a flat for a while, so I haven't really had the chance. But A little bit rusty on a barbecue front, but um, yeah. but I mean, how hard can it be? It's 
whack a bit of meat on the, <laughs> oh, the grill mate, and, and cook nice it. Stars, yeah, um, flip a few burgers, isn't it? Men for generations have been like making out like it's loads more difficult and complicated than it is. Yeah, yeah. it's not that difficult. We just got to make yeah. sure the meat's cooked. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I I'm, can just I'm, see you know white white like um, string vest on or something like that. Proper sunburn. string vest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was going to say, like, belly sticking over your trousers, but you've lost about a million stone, haven't you? So you're like a new man these days. Rippling abs in the sun as you flip hamburgers with your own little, like, healthy option in the corner, I guess. That's the plan. That's the plan. I will be having a... We will be having a housewarming barbecue, so um, you'll be able to see it in the flesh, mate. Literally the flesh. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I don't want to see too much of your flesh, mate. No. But, you know... (laughs) Um, yeah, happy days, mate. Right, Jonesy, we always tell people to get in touch via email every week. So uh, when people do, I think it's only fair that we read them out. Uh, Ian Knight got in touch this week um, from Yorkshire, Northern Hammer, he calls himself. And he said, enjoy the podcast. Uh, normally listen when I'm at work. Love that, Ian. Um, he said, yeah, as a Northern Hammer from Yorkshire, just wonder what your thoughts are on the medieval rules that 3pm games aren't televised in the UK, with James Jones and myself regularly stumbling across random streams <laughs> on a Saturday at 3pm that just happened to show the West Ham game. It surely must be happening to other Hammers fans too. Is it time to legally have an online season ticket to stream the game for, say, five or ten or a game? Uh, for me, I can't uh, financially afford to come to all the home games, travel costs, time travelling down, cost with kids, etc. But I normally come down three or four times a season. I say normally, but I must admit, since I've stumbled across streaming, uh, this will be the first year in about 15 that I won't have actually attended a home game in a season period. Maybe it's made me a little bit lazy, but I don't go in with my mates or anything. So maybe it would be different if it was a social thing. Not that it's not nice to take the family. Will this be the norm if it becomes more widespread and legal? Loss of income uh, in the club shop, revenue in the food, kiosk, etc. Just wondered what your thoughts are. Nice work, Ian. Thanks very much for the Ian email. Appreciate, uh, sorry, email Ian even. Appreciate you getting in touch. Um, yeah, Jonesy, thoughts? I've... I've... I have an opinion on this, which I mean, I don't haven't really done the maths on it yet, but um, I think the Premier League are missing a massive trick by not having a Netflix style subscription to be able to watch any Premier League game you want whenever you want. Um, even a backdated catalogue of content as well. Oh, if you look damn. at if you if you take into account the global audience, the huge billions of people around the world that will watch Premier League, that watch Premier League football. Um, mm. And I'm glad I'm not the only one that happens to stumble across games 3pm on Saturday afternoons every now and then. Um, and I'd probably, I knew I wasn't the only one. There were probably just billions up, more. Yeah, just pop up. You just open up your laptop, click on, click on there the internet, icon and there it just happens. It's just yeah. magic. Um, there are billions of other people that probably have the same have the same luck on a Saturday afternoon as well. Around not that we're advocating that, of course. No, do no. those who do it deliberately, we're not yeah. advocating that. No, we're not advocating that at all. But if you take into account billions of people um, paying nine ninety nine a month or five ninety nine mm. a month or whatever you want to charge them, I wouldn't charge them more than a tenner. The income you get from that globally every single season, as the Premier League. Right, far outweighs what a lot of the TV deals are, are currently are currently going for. I see no reason why they can't do it. I don't think it would affect 
Premier League attendances that much because people still love going to games. Mate, I, I disagree um, there wholeheartedly. But anyway, I, go I, on. I think that there, there will be people that will, will might see it as a, oh, do you know what? I'll go less because it's costing yeah. me a lot of money. I've got a season ticket, but I'll still go less because travel and beers on the day and you know, they're bringing their kids. It's even more expensive. And But th- their places are going to be taken up by people that are desperate to go to games but can't get a ticket. Mate, but how many, genuinely, really, if you want to go to a West Ham game, you can get a ticket. You do you can, know what I mean? You can, but there are, but that, that's just West Ham. There are so many other clubs where fans just are struggling to get tickets for games. Well, ge- genuinely, mate, where though? Like, I, I, I'm, I'm asking, I'm not being I mean, adversarial. I'm genuinely quite, because I, I don't know how true that is. You Maybe are, Newcastle? I mean, a, lot of, a lot of the bigger clubs have that issue naturally um but you will you will get maybe some of the smaller clubs might suffer more than the bigger clubs mm. um but the the breakdown of um of that of that revenue that comes from the subscription still gets dished out to to the club so they're not losing out on revenue as, as much maybe they get a larger cut of the pie as a as a bit of a sweetener for potentially smaller um smaller match day revenues i don't what? know i i just don't think it there what about was... live games, though, mate? Sorry, just a drill in. I know you said about backdated content, but what about live games, which is what Ian's asking there? Like, Saturday, three o'clocks, basically. If there's five yeah, I mean. Saturday, three o'clocks, what are you... Yeah, what, what are you about those? That's what I mean. You have a Netflix style, a little bit like what Amazon Prime do. You can watch any any game that's... When they're doing their Boxing Day coverage, you can choose which game you want to watch. This new this this subscription service, you can watch any game live. You can watch any game back. Um, you can watch, you know, uh, documentaries and all, all the rest of it. It's like a full, all singing, all dancing subscription for Premier League football fans, yeah. made available to anyone around the world. Um, I think there is a just a general myth now that this sort of thing or making or, or getting rid of the three pm blackout would lead to lower attendances. There is no oh, proof. Mate, I, sorry, no, there is I, no proof that that's. How could that's, you prove it? Well, exactly. But how how do we know that it is definitely going to? No, I do, how do we no, know I, that it's not? Like we don't know until we try it. Maybe they try it for a season, and if there is a, a serious decline in in match day attendances, then you work out. Okay, well, well how do we how do we tackle this? James, I, be I, just, I don't see. I don't see. I think it's just a general. Oh, it must be. It must. It nah. must lead to that. It must nah. lead to that. I just don't, right. I don't okay. know how true that is. I, I, I'm talking from personal experience here, right? The you know, since I was I went to my first game when I was I don't know, 1987, like five or six, I think. I think it was about five. Um, when I went to my first West Ham game, first season ticket at nine, um, shared one with my cousin, and then got one of my own when I was ten or eleven, and I've had one ever since then in a year or so out of the country um the uh, when we, we used to go you know obviously when your kids go with my dad and my granddad and my cousin it was all about the football we'd drive to upton park like you know there's no going for beers or food before it was just 100 about the football we'd drive park up walk to the game as soon as the game's done drive back to the car go home like that for years Obviously, as you get a bit older, it gets a smidgen more about the day out. But still, for me, you know, same for you as well. And thousands of West Ham fans, it's about the result and going to watch West Ham and wanting West Ham to win. The there were for for years of when I was a kid like that, 
it would be normal to miss max two games, league and cup at home all season, right? If West Ham were at home, that took precedent over any other plans. Mm-hmm. On the in the vast majority of cases, there'd be one or two times, right? And you know, I just sort of look back to that now and think, blimey, that was mad. The the on the rare as we got a little bit older, chatting to my dad about going to games and when it became more of a not always, but more of a shall we go rather than oh West Ham are at home, so therefore we're going. That's what we're doing that day. Um you know, as you get a bit older, move to the London Stadium, other stuff starts happening, right? Work commitments get in the way, other social things, different parts of the living in different parts of the country, etc. A huge factor, if you're looking at a, a month of games, right? And we go, right, we've got four home games in the next six weeks, say, yeah? Like me and dad having a chat about it. Four home games in the next six weeks, right? Okay, well, I might have to miss one of them. What we've got coming up, right? Okay, well, that one's on telly. So don't worry, like we'll, we'll give that one a miss. The, 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 that is a huge factor in decision-making about whether we've always gone to games because ultimately the idea of, oh, well, you want to see it, that, that is a huge part of it, isn't it? And I think if, if it is available at home, I genuinely think it's, you can't suggest that for some people not all people jonesy but for a reasonable percentage of people who are on the borderline of whether they get a season ticket or not might go oh actually rather than 700 pounds on my season ticket if i can just pay a tenner a month or 20 quid a month even which uh, spits out to 250 pound a year then i can watch all the games at home plus your sky subscription and all that I think it's silly to suggest that people wouldn't take that on board and go, you know what, actually, and it might swing people into who are already on the 50-50 line, whether they get a ticket or not, season ticket, that it's silly to suggest they wouldn't go for a small percentage or a reasonable percentage, go, no, I'm not going to bother this year. Or when they're considering whether they go to games, if they have got a season ticket already, if more of them are on the telly, they will go less. I just think it's it's impossible to suggest that if they are that that the fact the game is not on the telly, you, you can't suggest that's not a big reason why people decide to go to those games where they otherwise may not have done. Um, I see what you're saying. I think for for a lot of fans, I'm talking from my own experience, like going to West Ham has over the years, particularly with me and my mates, become less not so, less about football although that's obviously the most important thing of the day, mm. uh, more about the social social event. Yeah, I would agree. Um, as you and, get older, you know, yeah. meet up with the boys, go to the pub before, then go to the game, uh, go to the pub after, watch the late kickoff. If it's just, you know, and regardless whether the game's on TV or not, like yesterday, game's on TV and we're all still there. Yeah. All, yeah. All, the, all the usual people that sit around us were there. Yeah. Um, I've only missed three games this season. Um, one one of which one was because I had gout. <laughs> uh, one was because there was ch- train strikes, and I'd already moved up to Bury, so it was a lot difficult for me to get there. And the St. other Edmunds, one, I actually yeah. just moved just moved to Bury St Edmunds, and um, <laughs> and it was just bad timing. It was a bit awkward for me to to come down. So, hmm. but I'm a I'm but not every fan is like you. That's what no, I'm saying. No, but I'm, I mean I'm always in the mindset, and I know I'm not the only one. Is that I've paid. 650 700 quid for a season ticket 
when the West Ham plan at home, I'm making sure I get my money's worth. I, I mean, know that I, you I are, tend mate. not to get the money's worth. Yeah, um, never. Yeah, but uh, but I go. Well, I've got a ticket. I pay for a ticket, so I'm going. But go you're not the fan. You're not the type of fan they're considering when they make these decisions. Let's be honest, mate. You're not because you are more committed than some fans. That's but, okay. But some fans can't go for different reasons. But there will be fans who aren't like that and will go. Actually, it's not worth it because I can it, get them on the telly. Yeah, and I I am of the belief that those those fans will be replaced. Whether you agree with this or not, or whether you think it's right or wrong, they will be naturally replaced by tourists, and that's what that's the There's way we're heading. So anyway, many tourists, mate, and that won't help Lake Orient or Gillingham or I know they already do like a streaming service, but that's not going to help. I don't know Brighton or Bournemouth. There's not enough tourists to cover. I don't think. I, I think. I think. Opinion. I don't think it will be a, a mass. Uh, uh, I don't know, uh, like hundreds of thousands of people deciding actually, do you know what, games on TV. Across the Premier League, it will, over a season. Maybe, maybe. Over a season, yeah, not a week. But that and is I important think, to clubs, And isn't I think it? over a season, that that more often than not will, will be made up by people going because they've never really been able to get a ticket before, but now suddenly more tickets are able, able to go, uh, more tickets are available. Um, and there will be more tourists been able to get tickets. Um, again, I know there, there there are a lot of people that that you know would rather you know hardcore fans only at grounds. Um, but I just think that it won't be like core. You know, West Ham used to average 60,000 60, a week. There now they're only averaging fifty five. Like I don't think it's going to. I, be I like think that. that's exactly what will happen. I don't. I don't think it will be like that at all. But we don't know until we try it. Yeah. I just don't. But don't once know. you do it, as we say with VAR, once you do it, there's no going back. Then is there? There's, there, there probably, yeah, there, there isn't. But I, I just think that, yeah, they talk about trying to make football accessible to all, but at the moment it's not because well, the, no, cost, the, the cost of TV subscriptions, uh, Sky Sports, BT Sport, all the rest yeah, of it. Mate, the Premier League aren't going to do all that stuff for twenty quid a month, are they? They'd make more money. No, but yeah, the, um, what I'm saying is they make plenty of money from the actual broadcasters, don't they? They make uh, more money. The reason all money. those subscriptions are so high is because of the amount of money that these broadcasters have oh, to pay don't to get me win wrong. the rights that go Sky, to the Premier BT Sport, Amazon uh, would not want a deal like that to go through, but the Premier League would make a lot more money if yeah, they were to charge fans fifteen quid a month. And you can imagine how many people globally would pay £15 a month to watch any Premier League game at any time. You wouldn't get it for that low. It wouldn't be that low. Absolutely no chance in a million years would it be that low. No way. Definitely, definitely not. <laughs> it would. There's no way it would be that low. They couldn't. They, they, many, they, they just couldn't. How, how many people do you think watch the Premier League regularly, globally? Let's do the maths. What do you mean? What as in what's the what's the audience? What's the size of the audience? Premier League audience globally. I mean, we've got we're yeah, talking billions, right? I'm just I'm, I'm going to Google it, mate. I wouldn't. Um, uh, Premier League global audience. Bear, I'm very wary, by the way. Thirty-four minutes into an intro, one point three five billion. Okay, one point three five. So one two. Oh, hang on. Well, this is from the Premier League website, so don't want to cast my vote for the. Uh, Premier League Hall of Fame. Yeah, there you go. Oh, this is for the 18-19 
season. But yeah, assume it's. Um, so yeah. one point three five. Yeah. Times. Let's just say every every single. Obviously, it's not every single person's going to buy it. But say just say everyone does. Times fifteen. Twenty over twenty billion in revenue annually. Mm. That's been, yeah. I mean, obviously there were, but, there are costs associated with that. Okay, <laughs> delivering that's, this, that's revenue. Yeah, like I see no. <laughs> I, I see no reason why they wouldn't be looking at twenty over twenty point two billion pounds going. Hmm. But not every person is going to pay the fifteen quid a month out of that, are they? Like. You might get a take up of 30, 40% or whatever. Like, do you know what I mean? I mean anyway, look, I think we're I think we're going down an absolute rabbit hole here. We've been speaking for 36 minutes and we haven't even got to section one. Ian, thanks very much for your email. Um I don't think we've cleared up the topic at all. But uh yeah, I think it splits people. I I also just like the sanctity. Um Maybe I'm just because I'm getting old and I don't like change, but I quite like the sanctity of the 3 p.m. Not everything has to be broadcast and TV-able and on social media these days, is it? It's nice to just actually go and attend a real-life event. Anyway, um, yeah, that was the 36-minute introduction. I think that's got to be up there as a We Are West End record. We used to ramble on. Um, but yeah, we've now got about 13 minutes in which to do the look back to the Southampton game before the opposition views and the final thoughts. You'll have a bit more of a detailed review of the Southampton game if you're still listening, of course. Next. Right, James. West Ham beat Southampton 1 0. It was a very bleak game. Uh, we'll start with the goal. Nair for Gwed's header in the first half. A delay for absolutely ages um, after it was given offside. All the Southampton defenders claimed offside. There were three or so West Ham players as the um, Thilo Kera free kick was swung in who were in an offside position. Nea Fagued, after very long deliberations from VAR, was adjudged to have been onside. When I saw it on the screen... First time I thought, no brainer, he's onside there. It did take a little bit longer. There was a lot of players involved, so it was difficult to draw the lines for the VAR, etc., etc. I didn't think it was in any doubt whatsoever. Uh, I think the right decision was eventually made. Um, however, it was it was a bit of an extended delay. What did you um, sort of make of it? Obviously, you know, easy to watch it back and, and make that call, but your view from sort of in the stadium or whatever, what did you think of it? It's down your end that was scored, isn't it? Yeah, it was down our end. Um, didn't didn't really see any reason for it to go on for that long in real time. It just felt like he'd come in from deep. Um, so we were like, there's no way that he was offside. Like, just but I didn't realize actually how tight it was. But in real time, it was like, why are they taking so long? Because he came in from deep. He was one of the last to get there. He wasn't, you know, on the line like the others. Mm. Um, and it wasn't like it had come off a player and then he'd edited it in. So it might have been someone else interfering with play. Um, turns out it was a little bit tighter than we thought. But, um, but yeah, it was a tense. That was a tense. What three minutes or whatever long they took to. To do it, and it was like, oh, come on, just give a goal. Like, I don't care if he's offside or not, just give it, please. We need this. Um, but yeah, it's a good header, um, yeah. good ball in the box from from Kara. Um, I think it was her f- first shot on goal. I think 
can't, I can't remember. It was, it was a bit like, had oh. two shots on target the whole game. Yeah, like it was like, oh, oh, look, that came out of nowhere. Um, but yeah, like it came at a stage where Southampton had a little bit more of the ball. They weren't really threatening, but they were they were had a lot more possession, barely getting in. Uh, they were doing what they were just like us, really, in the final third, just really almost get the final third and then panicking a little bit and not knowing what to do. Um, then we just managed to get a free kick and and got the goal, but it was it summed up the the game really that the, the goal came from a set piece because it just wasn't we both both sides hit the bar. Um, that poor Anacu came on came on in the second half for Southampton, the Belgian guy. Yeah, he's the one he's, I thought he was he was at Everton, but they didn't couldn't get work. No, but I think before we, we've we've played against him before, haven't we? I think he was at uh, Genk or Anderlecht. Oh, yeah, it yeah. was not it? He's absolutely yeah, massive. He was the same bloke, yeah. Absolutely massive. I did check um, this at the weekend. Um, Paul Onuachu, previously of... Yeah, it was Genk. Yeah, we yeah, played him last yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely massive. But he came on and hit the bar. And, um, but that was really the only time they really threatened us. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it was just one of those games where it was like someone's going to win it for a set piece or a scrappy goal and it just happened to be us. But the, yeah, the, the yeah. overall quality of football from both sides was pretty poor. Yeah, Southampton um, are going down, aren't they? I think so, yeah. I mean, they picked up some good some good results recently, but... But they got some hard I mean, games. Some hard games. And I, I felt like in a game like that, and both sides were tense, you could tell, but in a game like that, as a Southampton fan, you would have wanted to see a little bit more. And don't get me wrong, we want, I wanted to see a little bit more from West Ham. But you, you, especially at one nil down, as a Southampton fan, I would have wanted to see a little bit of fight, a little bit of urgency, a little bit like, oh my god, we're bottom of the league and we're losing to third yeah, from the bottom yeah, of the league. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there just there wasn't really any of that, and they were making changes and they weren't really fits in the game. Um, but weirdly enough, our performance wasn't great, but there were a, a number of in, individual good performances. I thought Aguero yeah. was brilliant at the back. I thought Paquetta had one of his better games for us. Um, right, I want to. I'm going to get you a, a lot, in a minute. A lot more physical in the tackle because I've, I've. I know a lot of fans have been talking about this on social media that he tends to be very half-hearted in tackles, very lightweight. But he was a lot more physical. Um, I thought uh, who else played well? Um, those two in particular played very well. But um, there wasn't. I thought Kara played well as well, actually, um, which surprised mm. me. I was a bit worried to see him in the starting eleven, but he played well. <laughs> Um, Mate, I saw a tweet. Um, I'm going to try and get him on in the next couple of weeks. Tom Rennie from Talksport. Yeah, uh, a lot of you will follow him on Twitter already. Thomas J Rennie, if you don't, he's, he's worth a follow for sure. Uh, he's, he's it's fair to say somewhat curmudgeonly. Um, I bumped into Tom the other day. I was, did a bit of work with him. I was just chatting to him. Uh, he thinks I think he tweeted after the weekend. Thilo Kara should never play football again. <laughs> um, he wasn't that bad. I didn't think. I thought he played all right. He set out the goal, didn't he? It was his yeah, free kick. He played okay. He was. He wasn't. There wasn't a stage. He just right doesn't look like he has formally played for PSG, does he? No, no, no. <laughs> or no. that he plays for the German national team. He wasn't look, JG, terrible. Sorry, Lucas Paqueta. Then right, because I sort of, again, I appreciate he's sort of taking a bit of time to bed in, and basically he won the most tackles. Uh, of anyone at the weekend. He won 10 of 14, 10 tackles of his 14 attempted, and the 10 was the most of any player on the pitch. Uh, he won two of his three aerial duels. 
both of his attempted take-ons, like taking other people. And he also was the most 12 ball recoveries, which was the most for any team. Um, lots of people sort of talking him up. Um, and Tom tweeted after the game again, um, you know, just basically, you know, slagging him off, saying that he hasn't worked. And then someone replied to him and just said, you know, Paqueta stats yesterday suggest he offered a great deal because after Tom had said he doesn't offer anything. Um, and yeah, he said, I get, I'm getting a lot of this about Paqueta and I don't disagree that he works hard. He puts tackles in and doesn't shirk the battle. But what does he offer as a creative midfielder? He doesn't carry the ball. He doesn't cross much, shoot much or create chances. Where do you sit with Paqueta at the moment? Obviously paid an awful lot of money to bring him in for Leon. Questions about whether uh, West Ham was his number one choice. I think it's fair to say the Leon uh, owner said they had a, a deal in place with a bigger club, as he put it, not my words. Um, where do you sit on the Paqueta, on his performance at the weekend and then Generally, as a whole, I thought, I thought against Southampton he was he was good, um, but overall, I think there have been stages where he's been played out of position by David Moyes. Um, so, um, can't really blame him for that that much. But when well, he, he doesn't played, play number ten for Brazil, does he? No, no. But no. then when he's played number eight for us, we've expected a little bit more and probably not got not got what we were expecting. Um, I think the presence of Suchek massively hinders him. Because a lot of time, yeah, but particularly um, on Sunday against Southampton, Suchek just non-existent, non-existent. Mm. So more often than not, you've got Rice or Paquetta trying to kind of almost do the work of two uh, two players. Yeah. Um, the, the obvious change would have been Lanzini in for Suchek and keep the three Lanzini, Paquetta, and, and Rice in that, that midfield three, and you just naturally have a little bit more creativity. But there's still defensive now there and. Um, the ability to to all get back behind the ball if you need to, and there's you know we're not going to be caught in attack. Um, I think you have a more creative player and a more mobile player than, than Suchek in the midfield with Paqueta, and suddenly you unlock a lot more of his potential and a lot more yeah. of his ability. Um, I just feel like he's he's shackled a little bit um, because of the presence of Suchek, who has been great for us, but recently he's just not been good enough. Continues to be incredibly underwhelming and a problem for us. Yeah. I think. Um, yeah, I so yeah, if we don't, if we if we stay up and we get into the Europa League by winning the Conference League, I like to think yeah. he stays, um, mm-hmm. and then maybe another manager comes in and, and is able to find find his full potential and actually get it out of him because he starts with Brazil. Like he's a talent. He's a good player. Yeah, yeah. We're just not exactly. whether Moyes doesn't know how to get the most out of him, or whether he, he feels like he's hindered in midfield because he's playing alongside Suchek or something else, or the instructions he's been given yeah. aren't allowing him to do what we know he's capable of doing. I don't know, but I think there's definitely a player there. We're just not using him in the right way. Yeah, fair enough, mate. Right, Jonesy. <sighs> Southampton are now bottom of the league. They're only four points behind us. To be honest, I've been saying it for weeks now and I appreciate I've, I've put myself up for ridicule at the end of the season and social media clips and all that sort of stuff um, but I still stand by it that West Ham are too good to go down I don't think it was spectacular against Southampton but it is three points and a vital three points that we needed and we need to keep doing that Our, we're 14th after that win 
albeit we're only four points off the bottom. So, you know, by no means are we safe. However, I would argue that our minus nine goal difference, which is so much better than every single one of the six teams behind us, other than Leicester, who are on minus 10 to our minus nine, but they're two points behind us, also gives us a real cushion. And I still don't think we are going to go down. We can almost start looking upwards now. You know, Crystal Palace, you don't know how that's going to go with Hodgson. You think they'll do enough to cement their place in the Premier League. Wolves under Lopetegui, who are a place and a point above us, also look okay. I think they'll be fine. But I genuinely think we'll finish in one of those three positions, 12th, 13th or 14th, rather than any of the ones further below. By no means is 14th, uh, you know, anything other than an underwhelming league campaign. I think while you've got the Conference League to focus on, if we make a real go of that, then I think at the end of the season you can go, okay, you know, huge positive by winning a trophy. League form, not so good, but we can use that as a platform to build on. Before we move on, Jones, you speak to Sean Custis, head of sport at the Sun, ahead of the Newcastle game at home in the Premier League on Wednesday. Have you anything else to add or comment on about the Saints match? No. No, I just want to forget it. Forget about it ever happened. Obviously, we won. Uh, <laughs> at least we I, won, mate. At I won't be. Won. Look, I won't be looking back at in the seat uh, in a couple of years' time, going. Oh, I remember we beat Southampton one nil on that Sunday. Uh, on that Sunday in early April, twenty twenty three. It was a. It was a really, really memorable afternoon for everyone involved. Quite. Yeah, banished. Totally understand. Right, Jonesy. Um, or not just you, but everyone else. Stay with us. Sean Custis, Head of Sport from the Sun, looking ahead to the Newcastle game at home in the Premier League on Wednesdays coming up next. Then we speak to Talk Sports, Don Betts, uh, mate and former colleague of ours, also from the Fulhamish podcast, ahead of the game at Craven Cottage in the Premier League on Saturday. Then you'll have some final thoughts from Jonesy and I. All of that coming up next. So I'm delighted to say joining us once again on the We Are West Ham podcast is head of sport at the Sun, Sean Custis, big Newcastle fan as well. Sean, it was only two months ago that we had you on the show for the very first time ahead of that one-all draw at uh, St. James's Park. Bit of a drab affair. Yeah, well, I did and... predict it, Will. I did predict it was a drab affair and it was. <laughs> You did. I think you predicted a 1 0 Newcastle win, yeah. in fact. Um, not quite. Yeah, you're supposed to be sold. You've got to draw. Exactly, exactly. You were uh, too busy at the time, I think, looking forward to your big day out at Wembley, you and all the rest of the Newcastle fans. You yeah. ended up enjoying yourself wholeheartedly in London. Uh, so I understand, despite the 2 0 defeat in the Carabao Cup final to Man United. No, I didn't really. Um, a, lot of my, a lot of my fellow Tune fans did. For some reason, but I was only interested in the win. Yeah, okay, it's a it's a day out. We hadn't had one of those for some time, but I'm afraid I've seen too many of those failures at Wembley now, 98, 99, um, and on TV in 74 and 76. So this time I wasn't interested in a, a happy day out. I just wanted a win. And lots of patronising people have since said to me, oh, don't worry about it. You'll win one one day. But I'd heard that before as well, and it never happened. So no, only wins will do. Thanks, Will. <laughs> do, um, am I included in that group of patronising people? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think you said it as well. Yeah, definitely. But, um, Andy Dillon, Andy Dillon on our paper said to me about the FA Cup final when you lost to Liverpool. Um, yeah. When you should have won it, 
um, that he'd had a lovely day out in Cardiff and I absolutely slaughtered him. What do you mean you had a lovely day out? You lost your DFA Cup in your hand and you dropped it. And uh, he asked, he did ask me if I'd had a lovely day out at Wembley. <laughs> I did explode slightly. Yeah, well, anyone who saw the um, the April Fool article in the Sun uh, on April Fool's Day, funnily enough, um, would have noted and probably had a smile at the uh, the comment in there from the fake Newcastle fan group. Trophies don't matter. Apparently, you're one yeah. of the few that they uh, they do matter to, Sean. So, based on uh, based on your stance around the uh, and your general uh, zero tolerance for um, yeah the the words that come out around the Carabao Cup final, such as. Uh, you had a lovely day. Were you equally dissatisfied uh, to hear questions around was that about revenge when you beat Manchester United so ably in the Premier League 2 0 at St James's Park on Sunday? No, not really. I mean, look, there was a, there was a, was a sense that we were being driven on by what happened that day, but also that we just want to prove that we are worthy of a top four spot. So I think it was a double. A double thing, really, double whammy for us. Um, we'd been in good form, Man United up and down. Um, and we there was a genuine feeling among Newcastle fans that we did have the better team and that we could beat them. And actually carrying it out and doing it was, there is a certain satisfaction in that, but I would still have swapped that win uh, for the Carabao Cup any day of the week. Even if mm. that win would get us into the top, would guarantee get us into the top four, I'd still swap it for the Carabao Cup. Um, so it was tinged with a, a slight what ifness about it. What if we'd done that at Wembley? Because we didn't play, we we didn't play that well at Wembley. We didn't lay a glove on Man United really. Belly, I think we had one shot which De Gea saved. This was so much better, so much more comprehensive. People say, "Well, you were at home." I don't really go for that these days. I think I think teams aren't particularly. Um, daunted by playing away, playing on neutral grounds. I think they play pretty much the same way. However, whether they're home or away these days, uh, it's not like it was 30 years ago, I don't think. Um, and for me, uh, that was a much improved performance on the Carabao Cup display. Much, much better. Yeah, for reasons for positivity. So it hasn't exactly assuaged your pain of the uh, Carabao Cup. No, not Cup. quite. Okay, no, not um, quite. Um, like I say, you mentioned it there, put you into third position, level on points mm-hmm. with Man United, uh, better goal difference. Callum Wilson spoke after the game about the importance of carrying on the momentum you had before the international break. It seems you've done that. Is there a real belief, obviously, uh, among the squad and, and the players, but among Newcastle fans, yourself included as well, that although, you know, the... the the party line seems to be that, um, or certainly from neutrals and pundits, that it might be a, a little bit too early or success is coming too soon. Is, is there a belief that you can sustain it and, and finish in the top four? Or is it just any European place oh, is yeah. still going to be a mark of success? No, no, I think there is a belief we can finish in the top four. Not not just because Newcastle have started to play well and hit a bit of form, but also because of the mess, which is Tottenham, Man United, Chelsea, Liverpool, Spurs, oh, sorry, I've mentioned Spurs. Um, you know, they're, they're not putting together runs. They're not suggesting they've got anything um, sorted out among amongst themselves. So we're benefiting from that. There's no doubt about it. But we are hitting, hitting form at a good time. Um, I, I feel it would be a failure now if we didn't make the top four. I think that's, that's the, the really? we're now in. 
yeah, that's the mood we're now in, especially with, I mean, look, I mean, as of, as of today, when we're recording this podcast, who knows tomorrow, uh, Chelsea don't have a manager, Tottenham don't have a manager. Uh, yeah. Jurgen Klopp's talking today about he's quite surprised that he still is the manager given some of the <laughs> some of the difficulties he's been through, and and I mean remarkably Eric Ten Hag is is the ninth longest serving manager in the Premier League. That just shows you what what's going on in the Premier League this season. It's amazing. Eddie Howe will be getting a long service medal soon. Um, he is putting together though a, um, a team that is capable of mixing it with the top with the top sides. And we are now genuinely disappointed when we lose to anybody. Uh, previously, it mm. used to be, uh, well, you've got to accept that it's Man City or it's Man United or it's Liverpool or it's Chelsea, and we just beat teams lower than lower than us. But nowadays, we feel we can beat anybody. I think, including West Ham, will. <laughs> yeah, quite. Well, we haven't managed to so far this season, fortunately. But I mean, three defeats all season is staggering. Only Arsenal at the top of the table yeah. can equal that. Um, can equal that record. Obviously, it's the 11 draws in there that have have hampered you somewhat. That is more than twice any other team in the top six at the moment. And, oh, sorry, Brighton are on uh, sitting on seven draws there. You're you're on 11. So it's that that's held you back somewhat. Mm. West Ham, obviously, did the return fixture being one of those. This one been postponed because of the Queen's death. I believe it was supposed to be played in the first half of the season. Obviously, so it's wedged in in a busy way. It's a busy week for for West Ham and for Newcastle as well. Eddie Howe spoke about it after the game, both in the dressing room, the footage that was beamed out across Sky Sports, and in his post match interviews about you know there there was already a focus. I know that's a bit of a, a trademark sign of the top team. It's always the generic line wheeled out after any good performances, oh, we focus on the next one, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that was the sort of rhetoric coming out of, of Eddie Howe after the game. It, it's West Ham first and foremost for Newcastle. I believe your next three uh, three games, excuse me, are away from home. Uh, you've got, yeah, well, obviously West Ham uh, this week, then away to Brentford and away to Aston Villa takes you up to the 15th of April. Is there any sort of fear that, I don't know, around squad depth or that perhaps the, the fitness levels might suffer or there might be fatigue creeping or, you know, whereas um, no, other not teams... Really because because um, actually Callum Wilson, who was struggling with injury, has now come back and is starting to get fit again, scored two in two games. Isaac has, has started to hit form. He'd been out for a long time. So it's not that they would be tired, those two strikers. They've had enough time out through injury, so... That's okay. Bruno's back and in great form in central midfield. Longstaff playing very well. And we have in uh, I mean, Willick, who wasn't always starting games. Joe Willick now is um, mm. getting a regular run and being talked of as a possible England uh, player. Uh, Murphy on, on, the, on the wing, who's been a bit part, is starting to play more of a part now. So I actually think that the strength in depth is looking better than it did. We, we look in very good shape for the run-in. I've, I've really been this optimistic, but it, it will be a surprise if we mess it up. I mean, Newcastle, trust me, are capable of messing up all, at, at all sorts of times. But <laughs> just for once, it feels like it may be a smooth run-in with players all fit. I mean, you can never guarantee it, but it does feel like that at the moment. 
Mm, yeah, no sort of uh, no other distractions, I guess, um, anymore. Now you've, uh, um, yeah, like you say, you, your big day out unfortunately ended in defeat, but there does seem to be a, an inescapable feel good factor. I think most West Ham fans looking ahead to the game Wednesday night are, well, we certainly said on the podcast last week ahead of uh, the Southampton game at the weekend, which we limped through but got the three points we needed for this Newcastle game. Then we go to Fulham in the Premier League on. Saturday, the idea certainly on this podcast, I said four points from that will be acceptable as far as staying up goes. James wanted five. I think that might be a bit of a tall ask. I think most West Ham fans are kind of begrudgingly accepting a defeat on Wednesday because Newcastle are playing so well. What's the what's going to be the approach from from Eddie Howe? Are you any different in away games? You mentioned already that you don't think there's too much different. What be no, the approach? I don't. I don't think there is any different approach. I think you're getting, when you get into the groove like we're getting into now, I think the approach is uh, just keep playing the same the same way with obviously the odd tweaks. Do you start with Isaac? Do you start with Wilson? Do you maybe sometimes start with the two of them, which would be a, which would be an interesting one as well. Um, I, I honestly believe well teams are, teams are a bit past that. We'll play really defensively away from home and we'll attack at home. I, also, I don't feel Newcastle can do that. Now no. it's got to be it's got to be get on the front foot all the time, and if we can go at West Ham early, I feel there'll be a nervousness around your ground because for all you beat uh, Southampton, there's still a lot of edginess there. It doesn't take much for West Ham fans to get on the manager's back, does it? If you're honest, um, <laughs> and it, it, you know, twenty minutes to get them getting a bit angsty will benefit. Benefit Newcastle a lot, I would say. Yeah, I think the obviously three points against Southampton, good for the league position, and a, and a much needed three points as far as our survival campaign goes. My focus still wholeheartedly on the Europa Conference Leagues. So I feel like if we should be able to win that, it's an easy word to say, given the teams that are in it, that gives us a platform next season to qualify for the Europa League, and then. All of a sudden, then it's a bit easier to maybe hold on to some players or attract some players in the summer. If you've got European football, and it's not such a big reset as it would be if we crashed out of that and finished 15th or 16th. Um, well, you were telling me you were all booked up, weren't you? You were all booked up for the final already, aren't you? What do you mean? You said that. Well, I've, I've that. got the. I've got the days off work. Yeah, I'm sort of I'm not quite confident enough to actually spend out any money on the flights just yet. But um, yeah, that's sort of where all my hopes lie for the season. But as you mentioned there, the, the win over Southampton on weekend, I've spoken about it with Jonesy on the podcast this week already. It's hardly a, you know, it was hardly like fans were skipping out of the London Stadium. We've mm. just about beaten a team. We relied on a set piece and a fortunate VAR decision to beat a team who are rock bottom of the table at home and who are almost certainly going down. So it's, it's yes, yeah, it's, it's hardly like that sort of washed away all of the, all of the woes from, from this season. Um, is there a, is, is there a sense that among Newcastle fans that it doesn't really matter who you're playing? Is there a all West Ham a week or like you say, you, just feel you should beat anyone? Um, I'd still, you know, I still wouldn't, Feel too confident to beat Man City or Arsenal, but um, mm. uh, but at least these days you think it's possible. Um, whereas before we'd almost given it up. Um, oh, it's a great it's a great place to be at the moment. If we can strengthen a little bit more in the summer, uh, weirdly 
most Newcastle fans feel we've got to strengthen in defence, even though our defensive record is actually superb this season. Mm. We do know deep down that there are better defenders out there who could probably help us uh, when it comes to European competition. Not so much defensively. I think it's from bringing the ball out, from creating attacks. Yes, Trippier does it very well on, on the one side, but possibly in the central defence, we don't do that so well. Um, so that would that would be an area. Maybe another, another midfield player, uh, Joe Linton, for instance, has done very well, but I, I can't see him being the man for top-level uh, European football. No. Um, and Sir <laughs> Maximum is one of those players where um, if, he, if, if he can get himself into a consistent run of form, he could be the sort of player who could really flourish next season. Equally, he might be one who, who fades out a bit. He's a, he's a very unusual sort of player who's capable of great things, but at other times... Yeah goes missing. You need consistency out of all your players if you're going into for, for what we want to challenge for next season. And he's certainly not that. Consistent isn't his thing. No, it's just strange. Obviously, popping up with the assist with the, or the headed assist mm-hmm. yesterday, but he was sort yeah, of the poster great. boy of Newcastle days of the past, wasn't he? But showed it in flashes, maybe a bit of inconsistency. Yeah, and, uh, and he ended up just, on the bench. Yeah, exactly. Bench yeah. It, it is uh, it, a strange one. But 19 goals conceded is the lowest yeah. in the Premier League this season by some way. Manchester City next best with 26. It's a staggering uh, defensive record, but just proven to be hard to beat. So how do you see the game style-wise, first of all? I think you'll be there at London Stadium on Wednesday. How do you see it playing out? Um, I, I actually feel we're going to play with a bit of freedom. Uh, we, we take a lot of confidence from that Manchester United victory. Yeah, you, Manchester United weren't particularly brilliant, but we didn't allow them to be. Um, we learned a bit from that Carabao Cup uh, defeat uh, and we we got at them. And I think we're going to do the same to West Ham. Uh, I, I really feel the best way for Newcastle to play nowadays is to get on the front foot from the start. And it is probably with some maximum trying to get uh, at the opposition, Willock trying to get at the opposition, Bruno putting those passes through the middle. Um, it's it's a positive way of playing, and I would guess you'll be up against it, uh, which mm. is you know something to be saying when you cast on it. We're, we're really going to put you under it, and I'm expecting a I'm expecting victory. Yeah, I can see you doing your very best to suppress that smile of confidence. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, th- I mean, seasons past, last season particularly, that would have been a sort of music to David Moyes' ears, I think, that the teams were going to come at us. He prides himself on sitting back and counter-attacking. The bit he seems to have mastered this season is the sitting back. It's just the hitting back at teams on attack that he's been struggling with. Somewhat real sort of struggle and a bit of a grim state of affairs. Just seven wins from 27 for West Ham this season. Sounds like you're difficult to beat, but give us a... Uh, appreciate you joining us on the show again, Sean. Just before we let you go, give us a score prediction then. London Stadium, Wednesday night, West Ham v Newcastle in the Premier League. 2-0 to Newcastle. 2-0 to Newcastle. You went 1-0 last time and it ended up being 1-0. So, yeah, I've, I've got a feeling you will nick it, to be quite honest. 2-0. It's a bit confident. I think it might be a 2-1. We might nick one 
but I can't see us uh, winning the game. Unfortunately, I'm not technically allowed to bet against West Ham or guess against West Ham this podcast. I'm going to say, I always just say nil-nil when I assume we're going to lose. Okay. But um, Sean, really appreciate you giving us your time on the show again. Sean Custis here, head of sport at the signing here on Talk Sport as well on the press box on Monday nights uh, all round. Uh, sports journalist extraordinaire and big Newcastle fan. Thanks for joining us on the show. Sean, stay with us because you'll have an opposition view with Don Betts from the Fulhamish podcast next. So I'm delighted to say joining us on the We Are West Ham podcast is Don Betts, Talk Sports Don Betts, Fulhamish podcast Don Betts, formerly of Love Sport Radio, where this podcast, We Are West Ham, was born. Don, great to see you again, mate. Thanks for giving up your time. As always, ahead of that game in the Premier League, West Ham v Fulham at Craven Cottage on Saturday. Fulham sitting very pretty indeed this season. Tenth in the table, have been excellent since coming up from the championship last term. A disappointing result for West Ham and for Fulham away at Bournemouth on Saturday. That 2-1 defeat. You got knocked out of the FA Cup at Old Trafford, just like we did in the round before. Um, in the quarterfinals on the 19th, lost 3-0 at home to Arsenal before that. 3-2 away to local rivals Brentford before that. You haven't tasted a victory since your 2-0 FA Cup win over Leeds at the end of February. It's also been the 18th of Feb, the last time you won in the league. How is the, what's the feeling like uh, at the cottage among Fulham fans at the moment? I think it's a bit of a weird one. I think if you if we were doing this preview at the beginning of February or even just after that Leeds victory that you mentioned, we, everyone we talk about, oh, we're in the knock in the, in the latter stages of the FA Cup. We're looking like we could push for a Europa Conference League place. And in the last sort of few games in the last sort of month or so, it sort of petered out a bit. But I mean, if you're talking to Fulham fans, you know, we're pretty much, well, you're guaranteed to stay up pretty much. And, you know, the, the lowest you can really, I'd say we're really going to finish is 11th. Um, and I think most Fulham fans, if you uh, if you're talking to them now, would say, "Well, as long as we finish up Chelsea, I think everyone would be absolutely delighted with, with, <laughs> yeah. with the rest of the season." Um, obviously, it's it's slightly annoying, sort of how we were pushing for Europe for for a sort of for, for a time, and then we sort of petered out. But I think you've got to look at the season in context. Our first season back in the Premier League, you know, we've we we punched the weight very much. I mean, we and we don't we haven't tended to really get outclassed. Really, I think actually West Ham. Are the only team outside of the top four to beat Fulham by two goals, two or more goals this season yeah. in the reverse fixture at London Stadium earlier on. So I think we've been delighted with the way it's gone, especially with how it's gone in recent Premier League campaigns. I mean, the last Premier League campaign Fulham fans probably enjoyed, I'd argue, was maybe 2011, 2012, maybe, because even 12 hmm. 13, when we stayed up, you know, a lot, we beat QPR, I remember, and then for the last sort of month of the season, we didn't win a game. So it yeah. was it. So like it's for it's been about a decade, and yeah, it's, I think it's 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 time that it's taken a while. But Fulham fans seem actually united behind the manager. Previous managers, there's always been people for and against them. You know, I, I go I go back to even go back to the end of Martin Yole's reign. I go back to yeah. you know, Felix McGaff, you know, Scott Parker, Yukanovic, Ranieri. There's always been people for and against each manager. But I said under yeah. Marco Silva, it's been the first time where the club family's really been united behind the manager and. Weirdly, the events that transpired at Old Trafford in the FA Cup, I think, sort of even got Fulham fans more behind the manager just because of just the, the way the way it works. So, yeah, I think Fulham fans can be delighted with the season so far. Yes, when you are in a certain position, it looks like you can push for that seventh position. It is slightly disappointing. But, yeah, I can't complain. Quarterfinals of the FA Cup, looking like we could get a top half finish as long as we finish above Chelsea. So, yeah, can't really complain about the season so far. 
No, quality, mate. No, I totally understand that. Yeah, especially the Marco Silva thing. He's, he's done an excellent job of refurbishing his reputation, hasn't he? There after, I think, you know, the Everton gig, people just sort of wrote him off and think they realise now that the problems are probably at Everton rather than rather than the person who's in, in the dugout there. But you mentioned the events at Old Trafford, sort of still rumbling on. You're still feeling the fallout of that. Alexandra Mitrovic's red card going spare at Graham Kavanagh. Marco Silva getting himself in trouble for telling uh, Graham Kavanagh less than politely where to go, I understand. What's the... Uh, I think you said the the hearing for Mitrovic's red card might have been today. He was facing, correct me if I'm wrong here, was he facing a six-match ban for his comments? So there's been sort of different different people saying different things. I think people have been comparing different incidents with officials and contact with officials and what bans they've got, but there's been no sort of precedent set really. So we're still, we're still in sort of limbo where we don't know what's going to happen. I mean... There was a statement released by the club last week saying Mitra is saying, oh, I accept my three-match ban, blah, 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 yeah. blah. But he hasn't had the hearing with the FA yet who are going to decide. I don't know if they're going to completely throw the book at Fulham and say, we'll make an example here to show that you can't be doing this to referees. But then I looked on the weekend and saw in the Nottingham Forest Wolves game, which Chris Kavanagh was also refereeing, and there was Nottingham Forest players surrounding him, and I didn't see anything similar. So it's, it's hard to tell, really. I think the loss of Mitrovic, it's... It's 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 a tough thing, but to be honest, this since the return of the World Cup, I don't think he's looked fully fit. I think you know his goal his goal at away at United was his first goal since early January. So mm. it's not like he's been scoring him left, right, and centre this half of the season. So I think we can deal without him. It's just, you know, I was if it's, if it's just three games, then fine. But I mean, actually, people have been talking about it. if it's actually a ten game ban, which was rumoured when it first happened that you know former referee saying he needs to get the book thrown at him. It would be quite funny. Because if he did get if he did get get banned for ten games, including the Bournemouth game just gone, his first game back would be the last game of the season against Manchester United at Old Trafford. Yeah, 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 yeah. It must have been uh, like we're saying. Obviously, no hard and fast. We sort of know what Marco Silva said. Uh, he got himself in trouble as well, of course. It must have been quite bad what Mitrovic said to Kavanaugh. Well, just explain to those uh-huh. listeners of the We Are West Ham podcast who didn't watch it. Like what happened? What sparked it? Or what was the event? Was it bad tackle? You know that sort of stuff. Yeah. So we we, we obviously United away in the court final left goal. We go one nil up. We're in full control of the game. Uh, Mitrovic getting the goal, and then in the, in about the seventieth or sixty fifth minute, but uh, a ball a ball comes across and William blocks it on the line. Originally nothing's given, and then it goes to VAR and it transpires that you know it's, it's hit his hand. And obviously if it's if it's, if it's blocking a goal, then yeah. In the new rules, it is given as a penalty and as a as a straight red card. Yeah. But then Peter and then, and then unless then you're not in the forest, but yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then as, as soon as as soon as the referee went to VAR, Marcus Silva completely lost his head at Chris Kavanaugh. And so then obviously he then get gets a red card, penalty gets given. Then Mitrovic loses his head at the referee once he goes on the pitch to give it, and then he gets a red card. So we've lost our manager, our winger, our striker. May not get a penalty. They're back in the game, and then they score two minutes later, and it's two one, and it's pretty much game over when you're down to nine men. But hmm. I think when looking at Marco Silva and Mitrovic's red card, I think it's not actually about the incident itself. I don't think that's actually. It's not about the intricacies of that. I think it's about him going to VAR to give that because they would argue, and I'd argue as well. We had a pretty much a stonewall penalty in the first half, not even looked at by VAR. I'd understand if it was looked at VAR and not given, but they didn't even go to it. There's a corner that comes in. And Luke Shaw has his hands on Mitrovic, pushes him, and it means he can't get to the header. 
and then absolutely nothing is given there. And I think it's also just our history of Chris Kavanaugh. I think Silver and Mitrovic, and especially Silver, feel hard done by from the reverse fixture against West Ham with the Dawson penalty against Andreas Pereira, the Skamaka mm-hmm. and Antonio goals of handball. I think the Skamaka one sort of here and there, but I think the Antonio one was what, one that really riled them up. And then even last season in the championship, we had a game away at Preston around this time last year, I think, and they uh, we drew we drew one one. Uh, but the the Preston goal or, was actually a double handball by Chad Evans. It hits one arm and then the other arm and goes in. So I think there was sort of just built up frustration with Chris Kavanaugh's officiating against Fulham as opposed to the actual decision by Willian on Willian itself because it is a handball. You can maybe argue he's pushed into the position by Marcus Rashford, but yeah, I think it was just built up tension yeah. from previous incidents with uh, with Chris Kavanaugh and that's why they lost their heads and obviously Silva was still on the touchline against Bournemouth because he was requested a hearing so we'll find out this week what he's going to get Mitrovic obviously he put in a club statement last week that he accepts a three game ban but as you said yeah. he's got a hearing this week as well so we see how much he's going to get if the, if the FA are really going to throw the book at him or if, they, if he's just going to get a normal three match ban I think it'll be it will be extended I, I'm expecting sort of a minimum five or six game ban but we'll come to see as I said, it would be quite fun if he does get to 10 and it, his, his first game back, his um, Old Trafford away from home last game of the season. Is it fair to say then, Dom, aside from his goals, I was speaking to a Fulham supporting colleague of mine this week, that he, aside from the goals, which are obviously a hugely important part, a thing that Mitrovic brings to your game, that you you are still a different team? You still don't play quite as well without him in the, in the side? Yeah, obviously, we're, not, we're never going to play as good without We need to have a striker Mitrovic's calibre in the side. Um, I think, you know, Carlos Vinicius, although he he seems a tall sort of striker, his hold up play is nothing like Mitrovic's, I don't think. And I don't I don't think he I think he can he, he can do it because we saw it when we beat Brighton. Um that was probably actually our last win in the league, I imagine. Um when when he got the assist for Manus Solomon's uh, late late sort of snatching winner. But he just he just isn't the same. He, I think his only league goal was the winner against Chelsea. But to be honest, if that's his only goal this season, I'm not really too bothered <laughs> if it's if it's right. a winner against Chelsea. But yeah, yeah it's just not the same. The team doesn't doesn't sort of play the same. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say Mitrić is you know the player we, we we'd actually miss the most when we're out. I think that's Jao Polini, which we saw when he was out for his two game suspension. I don't think we won I think we've lost all three games he's missed this season. But yeah, just the attack isn't quite the same. Vinicius doesn't bring the players into play as much, but. Yeah, I think, and everyone, everyone have sort of mentioned on Mitrovic's history, but to be honest, I think that's, I don't think that's well researched because it's his first red card ever for Fulham. It's his first club yeah. red card, I think, since maybe 2016 or 2017. So he he has sort of taken it out of his game. The only time yeah. he's really lost his head before for us was in the playoff final back in 2018 when we beat Aston Villa one nil. I think Jack Grealish put in a poor challenge on Tom Kearney, but yeah, it was very out of character. And I think if you look at the footage. Mitrovic trying to talk to Kavanaugh and Kavanaugh says something back to him and that's when he completely loses his head. So if we, if we ever find out what happened there, then we might know. But yeah, it was disappointing just simply for the fact we were in such control of that game. We probably would have gone on to win and ended up being in the, fi- in the semi-finals and a day out at Wembley. Yeah, fair enough, mate. Fair enough. Well, look, it was 3-1, the reverse fixture earlier in the season in October. Uh, like you say, you had all the controversy with the Skamaka handball. I, I still felt that was a game we genuinely deserved to win. I remember, obviously, the fallout afterwards around the decisions was quite a lot. West Ham already felt they'd been tucked up a bit. Um, not too long before, away at Nottingham Forest, like I mentioned, where we definitely deserved to win that game. And, yeah, I, I still feel we deserved to win, but I could understand where Fulham felt hard done by, particularly with that Skamaka goal where it appeared to like bounce up and hit his hand before going in. Um, looking ahead to the game this Saturday then, Dom, style-wise, 
what what do you expect from the game from from uh, obviously from Fulham primarily? But uh, how do you expect the game to play out style wise? Well, we've pretty much stuck with the same system all season long. We haven't really veered from it in a four two three one. Um, obviously, as we've been, as we've been talking about, it's different without Mitrovic. But yeah, we we we'll set up in I presume the standard team we, we usually have been playing. You didn't go, yeah, but Leno. Obviously, he's, he's actually I think he's been probably one of our better players this season. I think the stats of like the the, the goals he sh- that should have been scored, but he saved. He's like the most overperforming goalkeeper in that area. Like, he, I think he he was I thought he was poor for the, uh, the Bournemouth win on the weekend, but overall this season he's been brilliant. Then the back four, you, you you're looking at Kenny Tete at right back. Probably a set of a partnership of Tim Ream, Issa Diop, and then Anthony Robinson at left back. And then the real key to this team really is the midfield. You know, Jao Polina, he's got more tackles than anyone else in the league. I think he's got more tackles than anyone else in Europe's top five divisions, uh, or top, top five leagues. He's got over 100 tackles this season. Yes, he's pretty much a walking yellow card. He's got, he was the first person to get the five match suspension. He was the first person to get the 10 match suspension. But I think you've got, you got to take that with, with, with his game. I think out, everyone talks about Casemiro, Partey, but. I think Jao Polina has been right up there with the best holding midfielders in the league this season. Then in front of him, you have Harrison Reed. I think if you look at our goal against Bournemouth on the weekend, that's it for us. Harrison's Reed new position this season. A bit like kind of what you've seen with Granite Xhaka at Arsenal, that obviously he's used to be playing a six holding midfield position, yeah. but this season has been allowed to play into a sort of a more creative box-to-box role. And Harrison Reed's been doing that. He's added goals to his game before this season, he hadn't even scored for us. And I think he's got two or three already this season. And then in front of him, you've got, you've got Andreas Pereira, who we got to see from United, who obviously scored against West Ham in the reverse fixture when he slammed it into straight into the top corner far post. Mm, um, and he's been, he's, he's been great for us. Um, I think, you know, Tom Kearney, obviously a club legend, club captain, you know, scored the winner for us at Wembley. But Pereira's really added a new level to creative, mid, creative players in our midfield. Yeah. Then out wide, you're probably looking at Willian or Mana Solomon, Bobby Decker, Dover Reed. And then up front will be, I assume, will be Carlos Vinicius unless he decides to go with Bobby Reed up front and then try get William and Manasson and both in the same team. But yeah, that's what you're looking at. And I think, I think the key is just in most of our games really is the midfield battle. Is yeah. if you can get past Jalpalina and if you can get past the high press of the likes of um, Vinicius and Pereira, because if when when it was obviously not with when I haven't seen too we haven't seen too much of Carlos Vinicius, but when it has been Mitrich and Pereira when they're pressing it's it moves into more of a 4-4-2 as opposed to a 4-2-3-1 that Supreme will push up as well, closing down one man, and then the striker will, will look at trying to get to the man where the, the centre-back's going to pass the ball to. So I think it is really trying to... If you can beat that press and then get through the midfield, then I think that's really really going to create the opportunity. So in, as, as I think really the midfield battle in this game really is going to be the deciding factor on which way it goes. Yeah, fair enough, mate. Fair enough. Well, I, I suppose it's something to hold on to from my Sam fans' point of view uh, that there's no Mitrovic. Yeah, we've got to hold on to anything we can at the moment. Whether or not we'd actually be able to put the ball in the net is a different question entirely, particularly after a game against Newcastle on Wednesday. Have you got a uh, have you got a match between now and on no, Monday? No, so we, we haven't talking? got a game until we play you guys on the weekend. Okay. I, I believe a lot of the fixtures... This one getting rearranged from some some from the Queen passed away and House things like that. Yeah. yeah, so we our one was against Chelsea, which we beat them. So that we played that you know back in sort of January right. February time. So we're we're, yeah, we're, fine. we're 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 fine. We don't have a rearranged game. I think until um, sort of end of April, beginning of May now. So yeah, we have got a full week's recovery. Mark Silver will be getting into and Burnmore will be getting into the boys um, mm. ahead of ahead of that game. But I said it. We're in quite a weird situation now because. 
I think, yeah, the, we, the Conference League places with with results on the weekend, I think the better quality of teams above us is probably too far now. So it's yeah, it's I think it's it, I think it is for them trying to motivate these players to putting everything into these games for the rest of the season. I think they will, especially to, after the poor result against Bournemouth. But yeah, so we are in this weird position now where I think they are still going to got things to fight for. Like we want to finish in the top ten. We don't want to have the season peter out and end up finishing sort of eleventh place in the table. So, but yeah, I think I think that, that rest and us not playing this week and you guys having a and, and obviously all your all your games are massive now for the rest of the season. Yeah. To kind of provide your keep your Premier League status. So, yeah, we're, I think Fulham fans are hoping West Ham Newcastle is a very sort of tiring fiction midweek yeah. and yeah, yeah, we yeah, can yeah, take advantage take advantage on Saturday because our home record against the teams in the bottom half of the table has been very good this season. As I said, at home we've we've the only teams we've lost to are the sort of teams above us in the table. So I yeah. think yeah, Fulham fans are very confident going into this game and. They want to bounce back after sort of a, 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 a quite a few games in the league where we've been quite poor. Yeah, go on and give us a score prediction then, Dom, before we let you go. So going into this game against West Ham, I'm I'm I'm, I'm hoping I wouldn't say I'm positive again here, but I'm hoping we can sort of edge a two-one win. I think the biggest thing for us is obviously West Ham have got everything to play for in this game, and Fulham have got trying to get back onto good form and a good performance in front of the fans. But yeah, I think it is going to be a very tough game. West Ham are going to be right up for it, but I think it, I think if we can get our wide players on the ball. William being back is going to be key for us. Um, so hopefully he can uh, get get a goal or two and then maybe Manus Wallen will continue his goal-scoring run of form from a, yep. from a month or so ago. But yeah, I'll go 2-1 Fulham. Happy days, mate. Happy days. Uh, I fancy a 2 all. Uh, it's one of those places, Craven Cottage, where you always sort of go to thinking, oh, we, we could get something here, but never really do. Like I, mean, I watched us win at Fulham a very, very long time ago now and it doesn't seem like we've done it loads since then but yeah we're not playing great at the moment I think really from my point of view I don't fancy us to get anything at New against Newcastle at home on Wednesday um, and I spoke to Jonesy before on last week's podcast and said from the next three games we need four points which I think is like an okay haul as far as staying up goes we've got the three against Southampton basically from my point of view we need one point from our next two uh, for it to be a reasonable haul from those three, I don't fancy us getting anything at Newcastle, so I'm hoping uh, we can get something with you guys sort of leaning on the fact that Mitrovic isn't isn't going to be playing and that your Premier League form has been stuttering a little bit, albeit we had the international break. So I'm going to go for a tour. It sounds like, Dom, the bet is uh, Jao Polinia card anytime and over two and a half goals in, if you're going to listen to me and you. Yeah, Jao Polinia card, over two and a half goals and... Yeah, both yeah, both teams to score. I think just get it on, mate. It looks like it's going to exactly, be it's going to be an absolute banker. Yeah, happy days. Well, listen, uh, Dom, it's absolutely great having you on. We appreciate you giving us your time. Dom bets there from Talksport and the Fulhamish podcast. Stay with us because you will have some final thoughts from me and Jonesy next. So, Jonesy, there you have it for another week on the We Are West Ham podcast. A world record introduction from us, I think, 35 minutes of intro <laughs> compared to our usual 15 or so. Lots of cover this week. Obviously, the Southampton game was disappointed performance-wise, but positive because we just need points at the moment. That's all I'm really bothered about while we try and focus on the Europa Conference League. We looked ahead as well with Sean Custis, head of sport of the Sun, to the Newcastle game in the Premier League on Wednesday before Don Betts joined us from Talk Sport on the Fulhamish pod. 
to look ahead to the game at Craven Cottage on Sunday. Just as a brief wrap up, Jonesy, give us first of all your your prediction, thought, score predictions, and thoughts ahead of those two games um, before we do our next podcast. Before we let you go, um, Newcastle. Uh, I reckon I watched them against United on Sunday and annoying was annoyingly impressed. Uh, I think we'll draw one all. I think our home form has been pretty good. Um, yeah. So yeah, we'll go one all and Fulham. Uh, Fulham away. Recent record at Craven Cottage hasn't been too bad. I'll go another one all. I think we'll get the five points I said last week that I wanted. Yeah, I think we we'll get the five points out of three games and be happy days. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm just sort of. I'm trying to rest on the hope that um, Newcastle's players might be a little bit worn out because they did look very good against Manchester United. They played, what, two hours after us? So they've had slightly less recovery. (laughs) (laughs) They've got an an awfully long journey down from Newcastle as well. Uh, So I'm sort of holding on to some sort of hope then. We got a draw, didn't we? Um, they, They are the sort of draw specialists. So... I'm sort of, I'd like to think we'll get a draw. I just think they look a little bit too good. I thought we'd get four points from these games. So I'm I'm going to have to say, I'm going to go nil-nil. I'm going to go nil-nil, even because I actually think Newcastle will lose, uh, will win. But obviously I can't predict that. Um, and then as far as that Fulham game goes, it's a bit of an odd place to go, Craven Cottage. You sort of go there with this weird feeling of confidence, but then don't always tend to get much which is, is odd. So I'm going to go two all, bit of a thriller. And then we'll get the four points that I said uh, on last week's pod. Listen, Jones, it's been brilliant. Before we let you go, any other final thoughts um, before we say goodbye for another week? Uh, no, nothing more to add. Um, I'm just uh, looking forward to hearing what people think of my subscription, Premier League subscription yeah. service idea. Um, I think it'd be interesting to hear what other people think. So please email in and let me know. Um, yeah. Even if it is just to tell me that I'm talking absolute rubbish. Yeah, by all means do that. I want to hear it. Exactly. Yeah, well, look, thanks again to Ian for emailing in. This week's wearewestandpod at gmail.com. If you want to get stuck in, put forward some ideas or thoughts for me and Jonesy to have a chat about like we did this week. Promise we'll try and make it a little bit more concise next time. Perhaps do it at the end of the podcast right, rather than right at the beginning. That's wearewestandpod at gmail.com. If you want to get us there on Twitter at are underscore westam. I'm at Pew underscore Jonesy is at by James Jones. You get us on Instagram as well, but subscribe to the YouTube channel if you're going to do anything uh, at all. Just search We Are West Ham Podcast on YouTube. Thanks very much for listening. Three points in the bag, which is reason for celebration, even if the performance was not. Two huge games coming up this week before we do our next podcast. Newcastle at home on Wednesday before Fulham away on Saturday and then the real fun starts as the Europa Conference League quarter final away at Genk comes next week we'll have opposition views for you next week as always but until then just remember West Ham are still massive we're looking onwards and upwards and we're in the heady heights of 14th in the Premier League what is not to be cheerful about West Ham are massive up the hammers thanks for listening we'll see you next week Hi, this is Tony Cotty and you're listening to the We Are West End podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.